There's another squad attacking. Welcome to the Third Party Podcast. I'm your host, Shay, joined as always by my co-host, Henry. Henry, how's it going today? Very happy to be here as always. Uh, this is an episode we've both been really looking forward to, so I can't wait to dive into it. This is like what drives Henry and us, I think, further than anything in this game, so we're excited for it. This is your weekly Apex Legends podcast, and today we got a good one. We're going to be diving through the lore of Apex, talking a bit about the stories behind some of the newer legends, and really looking at overall the universe as a whole, and look how our game has been shaped. Uh, a little quick note, the quest is finally complete. Uh, recommend everyone go out there, play it all the way through. Uh, we're going to be talking about it in depth on in next week's episode, doing a recap review and breakdown of the story, so we won't be talking about this one on this episode. After the lore, we have an awesome bow legend to shout out and some listener questions. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Third Party Pod. If you want to support us, please consider joining us on Patreon. You get access to two extra episodes per month, amongst tons of other benefits. The link is in the description below. I'm loving the Patreon podcast, man. Like, there's some good ones. Yeah, I, I can't wait to do even more. We've done some really cool stuff. I think my favorite so far has been the positioning and rotations oh yeah just like just, giving them the playbook man that's so good and the next one we put out is going to be for uh, world's edge and that's really great content i i wish everybody got to listen to that yeah for sure let's dive into some reviews and news though first we got the reviews coming from twitch timmy five stars i love the podcast i'm new to it but all the tips are great I'm doing a mix of Revenant, Pathfinder, Octane, and Wraith, but I mostly play Octane and Wraith on PS4. Maybe we could play a game sometime. I loved the Armed and Dangerous episode and used all the tips in that. Love to hear it, Timmy. Next one's coming from N8Mitch. Dope podcast. This podcast is a great listen for those of you who love the game. These dudes give helpful tips for multiple characters in the game. I've been playing since first drop of the game with a short break during season one. Hit Pred a couple seasons ago, but haven't been grinding ranked since. Been really enjoying pubs with friends. Hit me up if you guys are ever wanting to play. I'm on Xbox at LLL Wumbo LLL. Peace. Except those could be eyes, so we don't know for sure. Could be. Try both. <laughs> Next, we have David Diaz. Short and simple, you guys have the best podcast. The best podcast. That's what period. we like to hear, David. Yep, we are number one. Thank you so much, guys. Next, kind of want to break down a little thing that we've been working on for honestly a couple of months uh, is our Patreon tournament. Um, we've been looking forward to hosting a tournament for a long time now. Uh, we've been kind of considering waiting uh, for crossplay, um, but are interested in doing maybe a trial run for either Xbox or PlayStation, depending on the demand. Um, to enter, you can support us on Patreon, which will give you free entry into our future Patreon tournaments. Uh, and honestly, this should be a ton of fun. Uh, make sure to join the Patreon for updates on rules and dates, which we'll should be doing uh, some polls on how to determine the structure of it. Uh, but once we hit 300, uh, we will kick it off. Dude, I'm so excited for that. It's going to be so fun to run everybody in there. Was that overconfident? Do you think that was worth it? Oh, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Let's dive into the news, though. First and foremost, Apex Legends Summer Circuit America's big assist for the Aim Assist team. That is our controller squad going up against all the mouse and keyboard folks out there. 
Uh, they just dominated that tournament. Three wins out of the five games and killing literally everybody. It was mental. I've never seen domination at the pro level for Apex like that before. It was pretty pretty intense to watch, and they definitely swept the floor of that tournament. Yeah, I would recommend checking out the next summer circuit. The schedule is up on the Apex Legends website. Check it out there. Next, we have a bit of news regarding the quest. Uh, we just want to mention that a new map was teased in the quest. Uh, we're not going to go too in-depth into it because uh, we're going to be doing that on the next podcast. But, you know, just looking at Apex overall with the concept of bringing in new maps, so unique and so awesome for sure. And the reason that we're not going into it right now is we just want to give everybody a chance to play it mm-hmm. and not do any spoilers if we don't have to. We're hyped about it. We're ready to go. But we're just going to give it one more week. For sure. Last but not least, uh, coming from at Shrutgul on Twitter, uh, leaks of a new limited time mode, the campfire mode. Uh, this is a little quote coming from Shrutgul's YouTube video. Uh, the campfires will be scattered around the map. There will likely be far less healing items on the floor, similar to how it was in Armed and Dangerous, and you'll be forced to use these campfires to heal and replenish shields. The campfires look like small respawn beacons, and the reason is they will actually replace the respawn beacons in the game. This way, players won't be confused which one is which when they're running for their life. And players can expect to play on the night mode of King's Canyon for this. That sounds like it's going to be a ton of fun, honestly. It'll be cool. Like, I wonder, it strikes me as like a very similar to the, um, I don't even know what it's called in Fortnite, but they have like the little campfire healing thing. Um, But that would be really fun if like everybody has to converge on certain locations to heal up. So you have all these low health fights going on there or people just camping it like it could be really interesting. It's really interesting how Apex approaches these like limited time modes. Like we really liked the uh, the Winter Express. Oh, yeah, that's one of the favorite ones ever. But it was difficult. Mm -hmm. And Armed and Dangerous is really difficult. And I just like that they it's not just like for fun it's like an added challenge to the game that makes you kind of look at apex in a different way like yeah. only snipers and shotguns not a lot of healables i think is the hardest part but yeah I, I love all these and i want more of them and this one sounds like a ton of fun yeah i would love to see winter express come back though oh my goodness that's so fun we're gonna dive into it now we're gonna talk about the story of apex legends before we get started we want to let you guys know that we're going to be doing a separate episode which goes really deep into breaking down all of the original legends uh, along with Octane and all the town takeovers with lore since we don't have time to cover, you know, every aspect of lore uh, just in this one episode. But the first thing we really want to talk about is a quick little summary of Titanfall 1 and 2 as these were the games made by, you know, the same uh, company and a lot of lore is pulled into Apex as Apex was originally Titanfall 3 as the very beginning. So. Let's start it off. The central conflict throughout the Titanfall series is the Frontier War. The Frontier is a large group of planets deep in the solar system that were originally colonized by the IMC, the Interstellar Manufacturing Corporation. The IMC was formerly known as Hammond Robotics, which was a corporation on Earth that funded exploration into colonies around the solar system to get resources from these worlds. The IMC colonized the Frontier but had to return back to Earth because of a war back home. They left the colonists who ended up creating a thriving civilization over the decades after the IMC had left. When the IMC returned to claim their land, the colonists refused to hand over the colonies, which led to a war between the Frontier Militia and IMC for decades. This was the Frontier War. 
Big story time today. This is going to be, it. we're going to see how Henry and I can do a reading. This is going to be an awesome show docs for our patrons to see because we got a lot of information <laughs> written out in this one, no doubt. I'm thinking about how like, I think it's nice to listen to stories and such, but we have a, a small elite group of listeners that don't actually play the game. Like my parents, <laughs> they're going to love this episode. This is just a story. <laughs> Um, one of the things that we've mentioned on the podcast before are pilots. Um, now these come from the Titanfall game. It's kind of who you played as, uh, in the multiplayer and the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of breaking down who the pilots were, um, they were rated by a series of qualifications called certifications, similar to like a modern day driver's license. These certifications apply in both civilian and military roles, qualifying a pilot for specific occupations such as salvage, deep space search and rescue, shipping, loading, construction, or agriculture. However, by far the most highly sought after certification is the combat certification, a widely published series of tests that grade a pilot's abilities. The combat certification is the hardest certification for pilots to acquire, taking years of training in both the operation of Titans and refinement of the skills of shooting, parkour, and combat. Training can be completed or refined in a simulation pod. One of the requirements that uh, Shay and I think is quite interesting badass uh, for the IMC's uh, Notorious Pilot Selection course is for a candidate to use a R97CN SMG, very similar to the R99, mm-hmm. to shoot a 10-centimeter grouping at 25 meters in fully automatic fire after a 20-kilometer run. <laughs> pretty, pretty advanced training. Um, you know, Shay and I both put in our hours. I don't think I could put a 10-centimeter a grouping from 15 meters. <laughs> after any kind of run. <laughs> yeah, like, no way. Um, another interesting point that I think is maybe a misconception uh, about the pilots is that they do not require any augmentation as part of their job. Um, With the majority simply being uh, the most skilled and disciplined soldiers the factions of the frontier have to offer. Uh, In other words, pilots are not super soldiers. Uh, They're not necessarily enhanced. Uh, Merely they're highly trained and refined personnel with access to the best equipment their respective armies have to offer. However, many pilots uh, will opt for artificial enhancements to improve their skill set. These can range from you know, minute enhancements such as hearing aid, uh, aerial implant, to the transhumanist simulacrum uh, and the Spectre camo, uh, both of which completely replace the pilot's organic body with a robotic one. This is pretty much how in Titanfall you got the abilities uh, like Stim, Mm -hmm. uh, where you pretty much are enhancing your uh, organic body and changing it out for uh, an artificial one. Something that's very interesting about the pilots and allow them to fit into a game is that they are unique in that they're not limited to one weapon. Uh, They can choose whatever equipment they'd want. Um, Very much different from their uh, comrades, uh, like the grunts that are kind of set to a basic loadout. Um, Very much a Special Forces-esque unit, pretty much the pilots. Mm -hmm. Um, And something that's pretty interesting in the militia at least is that the pilots are often given officer ranks and lead their forces into battle. This is, you know, interesting because, you know, in modern day, uh, 
you know, military officers don't necessarily lead from the front. Yeah. Like you're not going to really have commanders and lieutenants, uh, really being in a special forces team going in. I'm going to go full nerd here, but it reminds me of like, uh, the star Wars, the clone wars episodes with, you know, like you have Pon Krell who was like the lead in the 501st and he was like in the back and, you know, all the troopers are up front complaining like, you know, Anakin would have led with us. He's a general. And so it's just like that vibe for sure. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. I think that all like military games and stories like star Wars, uh, really get a lot from having uh, officers in the field. And mm-hmm. these pilots are definitely uh, not messing around no. in the old combat no. abilities. Uh, another fun fact, now that Shay brought up the Star Wars, is that... Probably where I got the idea, yeah. <laughs> well, subconscious. Uh, the helmet of the male assault IMC pilot is actually inspired from Boba Fett's uh, helmet from Star Wars. Um, even more references uh, to the Mandalorian helmet of Star Wars uh, can be found in the very, very similar looking hollow pilot in the game. Very much has the same nose plane and eye lookouts uh, in that helmet. So that's cool. We like that connection. Uh, But overall, those are the pilots. Yeah, that's our quick little summary of Titanfall 1 and 2. I mean, obviously not diving into the actual playable storyline. I think I would recommend personally that you guys definitely play that if ever given the opportunity. Uh, But I think that's the information that really does uh, present itself into Apex, uh, talking about the Frontier War. And, you know, we talk about pilots a lot and potential ideas. So I think it was good to let you guys know what is there. Now we're going to talk about when is Apex set and kind of looking at the timeline. Apex is set after the Frontier War in a place called the Outlands. The Outlands is a small part of the Frontier, far away from everything else. It was untouched by the war. And so from Cuban Blisk, who we'll get into in a second here, from the original Apex Legends trailer, the Frontier War is over. The militia technically may have won, but both sides left the Frontier. After decades of conflict between the IMC and the militia founded to fight them, the region of space known as the Frontier can finally see peace. But liberation can come at a cost. The Frontier worlds were left barren by the war, and promised aid dwindled to nothing. With no way to support themselves, those who remained had no choice but to leave their homes. The brave relocated to the Outlands, a remote cluster of planets on the fringes of the frontier. The Outlands are untouched by war and teeming with resources and opportunity. But life is cheap here, and danger lurks around every corner. Its pioneers, explorers, and outlaws used to spend their lives locked in an endless power struggle. Now they settle their differences in the Apex Games a blood sport where legends from all corners of the frontier compete for money, fame, and glory. You know, really cool, you know, quote from Cuban Bliss kind of explaining the games. You know, the Apex games are now a televised blood sport hosted in the Outlands and run by the syndicate uh, that kind of works to attract the legends from across the frontier. The Apex games have been running for more than 120 seasons and are managed by Cuban Bliss, commissioner of the Apex games and leader of its namesake mercenary group, Apex Predators. More about this character, Blisk, um, was definitely a big antagonist in the Titanfall 2 oh, yeah. uh, storyline. Uh, but their background is pretty much that Blisk served in the IMC as a pilot and a ranking commander and later a mercenary. Um, as the leader of the Apex Predators faction uh, in the multiplayer, was able to lead a group of freelance pilots from Titanfall. Um, but also we see that Kubin Blisk also has ties to the Syndicate. 
um, in being the current Apex Games commissioner. Um, something to just kind of mention, just because it's definitely a clear connection. Oh, yeah. Is that Ash, who we've now seen in the Apex Quest, uh, is a simulacrum hired by Blisk as a mercenary in the group, the Apex Predators. Um, definitely a, a relationship there. Interesting to see how the syndicate kind of hired Loba to do all this quest, but we're going to get into yeah, all that next week. All the quests will be coming next week. We don't need to, Stay we'll get sidetracked. Tuned. We'll get sidetracked. More into the syndicate though. Um, officially the, the mercenary syndicate, um, more commonly known as the syndicate, is the organizer of the Apex Games and presumably the ruling body uh, of this part of the frontier called the Outlands. Um, you know, like we said, at the end of the Frontier Wars, uh, both the, you know, the, the IMC militia, and the militia, yeah. They pretty much abandoned the area. It's very interesting to see uh, yeah, like the, the result of the war. The final battle was pretty much a stalemate of yeah. both sides saying, we have no resources left to fight anymore. Yeah. Goodbye. Pretty Like bloody, that's how the war ended. Pretty bad. And the people that were left behind really mm-hmm. had nothing. Um, and so who's, what's the government look like? What does society look mm-hmm. like, uh, in the frontier is kind of up in the air, lawless, you know, wild west. And this syndicate kind of has power here. They definitely um, they, have some power. It's unclear the details of them, like mm-hmm. their leader and such and how everything <laughs> works, but they kind of, uh, are the people to at least go to. Um, the first mention of the syndicate in our Apex history is actually 2440 when Revenant was delivered to them for use. So I've uh, been around a while. Um, now let's go into the IMC and Hammond Robotics because this is going to tie into a lot more of the map uh, of Apex and mm-hmm. kind of more history here. Uh, but founded in 2131 by Dr. Heinrich Hammond, Hammond Robotics engages in colonial manufacturing, transportation, security, and with the introduction of the Planet Harvester energy distribution. During the war, they created Titans, Marvins, and Spectres. Post-war, they reinvented themselves as the new Hammond Robotics uh, to pull away from the negative connotation of the IMC. In 2420, a breakout in their robot simulacrum program started the previous year, was achieved as the consciousness of the individual later to be known as Revenant was uploaded for the first time to a robotic shell. It would take 20 more years of work before he was fully operational, however, after which he was delivered to the Mercenary Syndicate for their use. So much good stuff. Lots to chew on here. Um, You know, IMC uh, Mm -hmm. is this corporate body interested in space exploration. They started some colonies. They left those colonies, came back, started a war to maintain the colonies. Um, you know, high tech. This is kind of like some Elon Musk kind of stuff. You know, a little bit more advanced than Elon. Elon Musk hasn't Give invented a some more titans yet. Years and this and, is a major yeah. conglomerate that is interested in space. They've done all this stuff. They are, you know, woven into so many different areas. And right here, we can see that there's a relationship between them and the syndicate. The IMC and Hammond may have removed themselves from the frontier, but their relationship with the syndicate keeps their presence there in some way. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, Hammond just has its 
fingerprints all over in the gun manufacturing of the mm-hmm. Apex games, the Titans, and all the uh, warfare tech in mm-hmm. our in our little world right now. And some of the history of the legends that oh, we'll yeah. be diving into next week. Yeah. We're going to go into the planets now and the maps. So starting with King's Canyon. Once a simple settlement on the planet Solus, dating back to the earliest expeditions to the frontier, the island that is known as King's Canyon didn't thrive until a century later when the now-defunct IMC built several outposts centered around scientific research and development. It's rumored that the IMC conducted experiments using phase shift technology here, although explorers have yet to find any evidence that proves this. To blow off steam... IMC soldiers stationed here would compete in a gladiator-esque combat in an arena they nicknamed Thunderdome. Years later, when the syndicate commissioned the rebuilding of the islands of Kings Canyon as the home of their newest blood sport, they insisted Thunderdome remain untouched, a tribute to the earliest known predecessors of what we know today as the Apex Games. This is now where we get the first kind of legend to be introduced in the impact on the map, and so we have the entrance of Watson. Natalie Paquette is a familiar face in the Apex games, though for different reasons than most. Daughter of the game's lead electrical engineer, Luke Paquette, she studied his manuals to stay close to him and discovered her calling at a young age. Though she could be completely distracted, one moment and hyper-focused the next, electricity grounded her. Its ordered, predictable flow made sense in a way the rest of the world didn't. She devoured every book she could on the subject and eventually became such a skilled engineer that she was commissioned by the syndicate to build the Apex Games modified containment ring. Unfortunately, her father died the day it was revealed, leaving her alone. At her lowest moment, a group of competitors invited her to return to the arena with them, assuring her she would always have a home. She now fights alongside her friends in the arena she helped build, destroying incoming missiles, recharging shields, creating fences, and using her pylon to silence fights that get too loud. Nobody knows the arena better than Watson. Anyone who underestimates her is in for a shock. Everybody loves Watson. Watson's I, such a great character, and I will just randomly say that she has the best dive trails in the game. Like, so many good ones. They're pretty good, and she has some really cool voice lines as well. Yeah. Um, and interesting, you know, this type of lore where... We have a playable character whose background is that she helped build the games that we're playing. Mm-hmm. It's very meta. Yeah. It's very uh, exciting. Um, but now on the other t- side of that, we have Crypto. Now, Crypto specializes in secrets. Uh, he knows how to uncover them and how to keep them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a brilliant hacker and encryption expert. He uses his aerial drones to spy on his opponents in the Apex Arena without being seen. Orphans raised on the streets of Soamoto, Taejun, or Crypto, and his foster sister, Myla Alexander, escaped a life of squalor by becoming computer engineers, designing drones used by the Syndicate to transmit the Apex games throughout the Outlands. But two years ago, Taejun and Myla accidentally discovered a prediction algorithm used by the syndicate to rig bets for the Apex games. This led to Myla's mysterious murder and the framing of Taejun for it. With his reputation destroyed, the syndicate after him, he gave up his identity, his face, and his family in order to facilitate his redemption. Wanting to get closer to the people who framed him, Taejun planned to join the games, but thought he wouldn't be able to press the games 
past the game's qualifiers. He then hacked into the game's mainframe and put himself in the records as a legend, but not before blowing up King's Canyon Repulsor Tower to serve as a distraction. This allowed the entry of hostile wildlife on King's Canyon and disruption of the games. Now joining the games as the combatant known as Crypto, he seeks justice and revenge. Very interesting stuff surrounding Crypto. We have, you know, yet to see uh, his entire story play out, but this kind of background uh, definitely sets him up to be a fairly front and center legend. Yeah, and I just love how these first two, I guess the second and third legend after Octane, uh, really impacted the maps that we are on. Crypto essentially destroying the first map and Watson, you know, being responsible for the ring that has taken many lives in the Apex games. Absolutely. And, you know, obviously the King's Canyon Repulsor Tower uh, being destroyed by Crypto mm-hmm. allowed for the Leviathans and the Flyers to pretty much go around free and range. Destroy everything. Uh, which was, you know, quite invasive uh, to <laughs> traditional games, but, you know, allowed uh, the Syndicate to kind of build up some new things. Definitely made gameplay pretty cool. Uh, but then uh, had to switch over to World's Edge mm-hmm. because of it. The once uninhabitable world of Talos became a hotbed of IMC activity when a rare mineral compound was discovered beneath its surface. Heat-reducing towers were built to supercool its natural lava flows, and the, ton- and the town of World's Edge grew around them. Decades ago, an explosion in one of the towers covered the surrounding area in a lethal flash freeze. Today, World's Edge is deserted, its borders inhabited by a small community of hunters who reportedly spurn modern technology. After the repulsor attack on King's Canyon and the various attempts to rebuild it proved too much trouble than they were worth, the games were moved to World's Edge. After a partnership between Hammond Robotics and the Mercenary Syndicate, Hammond installed the Planetary Harvester into the arena, changed its landscape, devastating Capital City, and opening up lava fissures. The Planetary Harvester is, of course, a massive energy distribution tool, leading to a massive revenue opportunity for Hammond and potentially the Syndicate. Hammond sponsored a legend to join the games in the partnership agreement, including the Harvester, Forge. Standing six foot five inches tall and weighing 269 pounds, James McCormick, nicknamed The Forge, was a five-time hyper-fighting Federation champion before he was set to join the Apex Games. He has already achieved widespread popularity as the People's Champ and was notably already popular three years ago when he met and sexually harassed Anita Williams, Bangalore. His entrance to the games was highly anticipated because of his popularity alongside his sponsorship by Hammond Robotics. Before his official entrance to the games, he was being interviewed live by the Outland Television, uh, by the Outland's television's Lisa Stone when Revenant stuck behind him and impaled him immediately causing his death at the age of 28. That was, such, that was such a good trailer and just yeah. like the combination of lore with the characters, the fake out by the devs, like, oh my goodness, so good. The misdirection and the marketing behind that was uh, pretty special. And just this universe is so unique mm-hmm. uh, for many reasons, this being uh, one of the, the larger, brighter ones. But now, after uh, Forge is no longer with us, uh, we have Revenant enter the game. Uh, Revenant used to be a human. Uh, he used to be the greatest hitman the Mercenary Syndicate ever had. Uh, he used to look into the mirror and see his human face 
looking back at him. Then one day he finally saw what he had become in the hands of the mercenary syndicate and Hammond Robotics, a walking nightmare of steel and vestigial flesh. The simulacrum revenant first booted up in 2420, though it took another 24 years for the robotic shell to function properly, after which it was delivered to the syndicate for their use. For three centuries, Revenant has been an agent of death for the syndicate, typing the name of the target, and a day later, they're dead. And when Revenant himself dies, his masters resurrect him again and again, snatching from him, snatching him from death's embrace and programming him to forget. But one day, after killing Marcos and Aliza Andrade, he looked at Amir and finally saw himself for what he had become. He swore that he would hunt down every last person who did this to him. But more than two centuries have passed, and they're all gone. Or so he thought. The return of Hammond Robotics to the Outlands has renewed his thirst for vengeance. He snuck into their facilities, trying to find out more about himself, when an interview with Forge, a legend sponsored by Hammond, was conducted in World's Edge. He felt he went there and killed him. Wasn't the first, nor would he be the last, for he won't stop until anyone connected to Hammond is dead. Of course, he doesn't mind eviscerating a few of the legends along the way. He used to need a reason to kill, but he's not that man anymore. Rev's backstory is amazing. The trailer was, the introduction of the amount of Easter eggs in the Revenant trailer was insane. And should we just dive right into this next thing? Let's run it. Yeah. Can't talk about a revenant without talking about Loba. So, looking at Loba, when Loba was nine, she looked on as a simulacrum hitman revenant killed her family. Left with nothing, Loba was given to a foster family, but like her mother and father, she quickly found out she was good at being a thief. She started with picking pockets, and as her skills improved, Loba used every tool at her disposal to lift herself from the gutter. Everything changed when she broke into supposedly into a supposedly impenetrable facility and got her hands on the jump drive tech stored inside. With her new teleportation bracelet, the most secure and unattainable items were within her reach. So was her dream of living the high life. Rumors spread across the outlands. If you wanted something valuable and well-guarded, Loba's who you got go to. She was almost able to put her past behind her, but when Revenant joined the games, her past catapulted in her into the future. Desperate to find a way to kill him, she found out the truth about the simulacrum with her help from her friend, Jamie, and successfully sabotaged a facility full of revenant bodies, bringing Skulltown and Thunderdome crashing down in the process. However, she learned it was just one of many such factories hidden across the frontier. Now she's joined the games to find a way to end him for good. It doesn't hurt that the arenas are brimming with treasures just waiting to be plucked. Revenge will come if fortune favors her. In the meantime, some shiny things have caught her eye. It's really amazing. I, I love this lore. I love how the legends uh, not only interact with one another, but have been introduced with, you know, the game and the map in mind. Mm-hmm. You know, we have Watson, who has this backstory building the map. Crypto has some gripe with the organization behind the games, mm-hmm. then attacks the games themselves. And then Revenant also has gripe with the people behind the games enters the map like live for us in this trailer Mm -hmm. releasing forge uh and then now the revenant has broken into the games and is there to stay 
Loba is able to see him and resurrect all her feelings, and she then breaks into the games as well. So it's just such an interesting way that they use the map and the games in Mm -hmm. a meta way to introduce new legends. It's really... It's unprecedented. It's crazy. It's so cool. And there's so much more too. And we're going to be doing Wraith next time around. And I think that'll talk a lot more about yeah. Kings Canyon specifically. And everybody so, really has a connection yeah, to the maps. Everybody uh, does. These are just the people that seriously altered and changed when and where we were playing. Yeah, it's definitely a big time. And I have to say that um, Revenant has some really nasty Oh my goodness. He is a bad, bad man. But from the very beginning on his release, I had some sympathy for him. Like, I Mm -hmm. saw right through. Like, he is programmed. He doesn't necessarily have control over his actions. Oh, yeah. You know, Loba, you know, may not be able to blame him specifically. The real people to blame are the syndicate. So I think we're going to see some more in that story and see Revenant really, uh, change in the public eye i think yeah it definitely is interesting and you know it can't uh can't feel good to die over and over and over and over again word up shay and i do it on the regular yeah and not it good. is painful very 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 and it really hurts your kd like i'll we'll word. see what rev's working with if you can get the dubs your kd is gonna follow that's just a helpful hint <laughs> from the math department um but moving on with, you know, Loba here, uh, we had some changes to King's Canyon. Um, most notably, uh, the games did eventually return to King's Canyon after Crypto, you know, did his work and they tried to get all the Leviathans out of there. Um, but Loba, after a failed attempt at killing Revenant, uh, she accidentally set off a chain of explosions that led to the destruction of a significant chunk of the island uh, forming the Broken Bay uh, at what was once Schooltown and Thunderdome. R.I.P. Massive changes. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely exposing a lot of the underground facilities uh, on Kings Canyon. Very cool. Um, salvage uh, was built on top of what was uh, Schooltown and Thunderdome. Um and kind of just a connected structure to the mainland uh, to reclaim the debris of Loba's destruction. Pretty cool. Yeah. And we have the rig, you know, which is on the other side of the map, and it's an offshore construction project with a purpose of connecting fuel to the capacitor, which is a place you should really drop at because nobody drops at rigs still. It's crazy. Blows our mind every time. If you're ever hopping into a game with us, and uh, we're playing on Kings Canyon. We're definitely going to be going on the northeastern side of the map. Uh, the amount of early. loot in comparison to Gauntlet and Salvage, <sighs> it's not even close. But I swear to you, every time we start on that side of the map, it's like 15 people in the dropship by the time you're like yeah. approaching capacitor and labs yeah. and stuff. It's, it's crazy. And not to mention these charge towers. Um, now, capacitor is also a new. Uh, place of interest on King's Canyon, uh, which replaced Wetlands, uh, one of our favorite drop spots on King's Canyon. One. Honestly, it was overlooked as well. Mm-hmm. Capacitor is now also a bit overlooked, but Wetlands was a cool spot. For sure. Um, 
But now Capacitor is really awesome. Uh, it has three charge towers, uh, which were originally designed by the IMC to power multiple planets, according to Bangalore. Uh, but that may be up uh, for debate. Yeah. Um, they've now been repurposed, though, by the Syndicate for the Apex Games, which is not under debate, as a high-tech power source. Now, you've probably known this can charge anybody's ultimates mm-hmm. that is standing on it when it's activated. Uh, but that's all the changes to the maps and all that sort of broad strokes. I think overall, looking at everything in its entirety, this universe is created and based upon this huge war that came from uh, you know, people settling their differences and huge uh, corporations you know, having some issues to dissolve. Um, you know, really dive into those campaigns in Titanfall 1 and 2. There's so many fun things that it would take us hours and hours to explain all of that. Um, but that's the universe we're in. And now we have this blood sport that is televised for everyone to watch in the Apex Games. I think looking at all the original legends and an upcoming episode is going to fill in a lot of the gaps here as well. And, you know, little things like Mirage owning a bar and all that kind of fun stuff as well is going to be really, really fun to talk about in the future. Yeah. In a minute here, we're going to be going into a legend concept. And one of the things that we ask for uh, when our listeners submit a concept is that they have a reason that they're in the games Mm -hmm. uh, because... Every legend in the games has a reason to be there. Um, For sure. So excited to get into more of those details for you guys. But first, uh, I have kind of a frequently asked question. Where are the Titans? Uh, Shay and I were asking this in the early days of the game more than a year ago. Um, Love Titanfall. We're quite good at Titanfall. Didn't know where the Titans were. It's the same universe. Mm -hmm. Like... Did they have a technological failure? Like, yeah, like what? what's happening? Um, but just so everybody's on the same page, the Apex games uh, are now taking place 30 years after the events of Titanfall 2. Um, the developers are respawn, you know, relentlessly tested tons of stuff uh, before the release of Apex, and they definitely tested Titans, uh, potentially making an appearance into the game, uh, and found that just balancing became a feat too difficult to overcome. Uh, just it wasn't quite fair. Uh, it w- made combat confusing. If they gave the Titans uh, a weakness, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it wouldn't really feel. It wouldn't feel like Titanfall. It, yeah, it wouldn't feel Titans. like you're in a Titan, and it wouldn't hold them up to the expectation. So, you know, we have heard some things that Titans may be making an appearance in the future, perhaps in a quest. Mm-hmm. Um, but. That's kind of all we know as to why the Titans aren't here in the Outlands yeah. today. The balancing is hilarious because you look at pilots who yeah. I believe we've seen a couple devs pretty much say that a pilot from the war would dominate a current legend in Apex. That's mm-hmm. just how amazing of warriors and fighters they were. Um, those guys still got freaking squashed by Titans yeah. like very easily in the game. So. It's a tough thing to balance. Lifeline versus a Titan wouldn't be very fair. Yeah, and it's just a, I think it, overall, even though I think it would be awesome, I think playing Titanfall is awesome. Exactly. So I think they can stay separate, and I think that I can continue to enjoy Apex and kind of the clarity of uh, that game. Okay, that is it for our first kind of dive into the overall lore of Apex. We hope you guys learned something in that. 
we'll definitely be doing more talking about the rest of the legends and connecting a lot of the things I think we'll be finding out here in the near future, potentially with the introduction of season six as well. And yeah, let's dive into our legend concept though. First and foremost, big thank you to everyone who submitted the concept. Uh, there were a ton of them. We're reviewing them. Uh, we'll continue to feature the ones that have you know some of the most creative ideas and a lot of lore based around them. I personally made a request for a bow and arrow legend and we got so many of them. And so this is just the first one we're going to be sharing. There were a lot of really cool ones. Uh, but Hydro Lord submitted one that has some of the best lore I think we've ever found in a legend concept. And that is why they will be getting the shine on this episode. And so starting with that, we have Swift Shot, the adaptable archer. So the lore behind Swiftshot is that their given name is Haki'i Ure. Uh, they were a native uh, exiled by their tribe, left behind uh, when his people let the games overtake their homeland. Uh, Ure and his people have always valued nature and the land. Now Ure fights in the Apex games to drive off the foreign invaders off of his homeland or to help limit the damage to other places of nature because he cannot sit aside and let others destroy it. Uh, the translation of this name, uh, the Haki'i Ure, is Abandoned Arrow uh, in a Native American language. Badass. Really cool. Oh I mean, my goodness. Definitely deep dive into this. I believe it's Navajo, mm -hmm. uh, the language. Very interesting. Love it. Abandoned Arrow, tied into the Swift Shot, tied into the Adaptable Archer, tied into the Abandoned uh, Native. Mm -hmm. Love it. Absolutely amazing. And the lore keeps on going. We now have how uh, Swiftshot reacts and interacts with the other legends. So Swiftshot respects Bloodhound and would officially allow them onto his people's lands. Swiftshot believes Wraith is an embodiment of the river spirit. Swiftshot likes Watson. Nobody can hate Watson. True. Swiftshot believes Revenant is a spirit seeking revenge from the grave and is willing to help him so he may return to his rest. Swiftshot dislikes Mirage. He finds him very annoying and disrespectful. Understandable. Swiftshot hates Caustic because he is polluting innocent land. Swiftshot refuses to acknowledge Pathfinder as an equal since he is a machine. Hashtag screw Pathfinder. You know, he might get a little bit along with Mirage if there's a mutual hate for Pathfinder there. Except I think there's a deep down love coming from Mirage for Pathfinder. I yeah. think he's turning around. We are seeing that with the scary death robot. Yeah. I think he's cuddling up a little <laughs> he's bit. He's cuddling to up path. to the path a little bit more. Now, the personality of Swift Shot is quite interesting. They're a very stoic character. Uh, they don't communicate very often, likely due to the time he spent alone in exile and language limitations. He speaks in very short phrases and occasionally will share a metaphor. He was raised with a sense of duty and honor that play into his interactions and drive him on his endless quest. Him and his people have valued the land. Additionally, he believes spirits derive from the land and that destroying nature will be killing off innocent souls or even ancestors. He doesn't hate the people who have come to destroy the land. He believes they are just confused and tries to make them understand what he believes. And if they cannot understand why the land is so sacred, it is his duty to drive them off and protect it. Just amazing work, Hydra Lord, with the lore. Like, so, so, so good. And it's the kind of stuff that really, really gets Henry and I hyped up and running around the apartment a little uh, happy, for sure. Word. 
We're going to dive into the abilities now, starting with the passive hunter. An enemy he deals damage to is tracked for 5 seconds, and an enemy hit with an arrow is tracked when leaving eyesight for 15 seconds, similar to bamboozle pings. All downed enemies are highlighted on vision with the color of their knockdown shield. If no knockdown shield, they will be highlighted red. Do you want to go all the abilities or should we talk one by one? Let's break it down one by one okay. because they get kind of uh, they get depth. yeah. This is an extremely good passive. Oh, yeah. Extreme. Um, something we've been talking about for a little bit is someone that can reveal enemies' locations. Mm -hmm. And I like how this is incorporated. It potentially could be a little strong for having uh, an enemy he deals any damage to to be tracked. Um, maybe it should be limited to just the arrow, but I do like how you know it makes sense with his lore as a hunter and a tracker and such as well. The addition of having uh, anybody that's knocked being highlighted red so good. is kind of scary. Mm -hmm. Like, this hunter wants to finish you yeah. quickly. And uh, we've had some concepts that have, like, uh, faster finishers or people mm -hmm. that get bonuses for finishing people. Um, but this is kind of an interesting perspective on it. And, you know, plug here, Shay and I have really tried to pull ourselves away from the tunnel vision of having a main. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily advice for all of you guys to just start, you know, playing whatever we have put in our, you know, hours or 5,000 kills on, you know, very specific legends mm -hmm. to refine them. But, you know, we've been enjoying other legends and specifically we've both played a good amount of bloodhound and this ability mm -hmm. to scan and reveal people is more dynamic uh than you may assume definitely more than we gave it credit for and have for a while i think with the thought of us playing a lot of ranked as well it's just huge to find the finished people find the solo or if you're approaching a fight finding the one person that is separated from the team yeah it's it's really massive and after all the changes to it um, the fact that it lasts a long time and has such a wide range, uh, it's really an underrated ability just by itself. And so this hunter passive, uh, being able to track uh, people that you do damage to and kind of keep tabs on them, very nice idea. Yeah, I could see it being awesome, awesome in the game, just like hitting someone once and then like you see them, you know if they're peeking or if they're behind cover and yeah. very little things like that. But let's talk about the tactical a little bit. Sacred bow. When pressing the tactical button, Swiftshot will pull out a bow, which will act like a bow in most other FPS games. The bow uses a single stack of ammo type for a single arrow. For example, 60 light bullets is about three arrows. Additionally, each ammo type has different types of arrows. When a slot of ammo is depleted, the bow enters a 20 second cooldown. All arrows make a sound through the air but are hard to track the initial direction. So for the original arrow, if no ammo is attached to the bow, Swiftshot gets a single arrow that deals 30 damage. If you use light ammo, so light arrows, light arrows do small amounts of damage, like 25, but can be shot very quickly and are silent and hard to see. Then we have heavy arrows. Heavy arrows have the longest draw time and a short range, but can deal 35 damage per hit, push enemies back, and can even pin enemies to walls if they are close enough. Then we have the scatter arrow, so this is shotgun ammo. The arrow on impact to a surface other than the enemy sends several arrows in a different direction 
The scatter arrows do about 15 damage each. Then we have the sharpshoot arrow or sniper ammo. The sharpshoot arrow has a long draw time, but a large range. The arrow does 35 per hit, but hits for 100 damage headshot. We then have the shield piercer arrow, energy ammo. The shield piercer arrow ignores the shield health, doing damage directly to the health, about 20 damage per hit. Cool idea. So cool and so just like, so well thought out, amazingly. Yeah, you know, the, the mechanics of how you would have multiple uh, ammo types in the same weapon or tactical mm-hmm. is something that may, maybe people are wondering, like, is that feasible? Like, would that be complicated? You know, we have uh, the D-pad on controllers that can kind of allow you to cycle through things. Mm-hmm. You know, we have uh, Mirage's ability that's now uh, able to be activated with that additional to uh, pressing the tactical. So I think this is uh, obtainable. I think it's pretty neat. Um, it's very out of the box, very creative. It would be really cool for an, a legend to have just a different concept of inventory throughout the game. Yeah. Like they could be running a light and a heavy gun, but now there's a reason for this person to carry light, heavy shotgun and sniper ammo. Like yeah. it'd be, if, if that's how it is used, that'd be very, very interesting for sure. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. And kind of the idea of giving a legend a a weapon of some sort, whether mm-hmm. it's uh, a tactical or an ultimate, it's just kind of an interesting thing from a loot perspective. I don't know if Respawn has uh, considered this, uh, but I like it uh, not only from kind of a cool standpoint, but also from a, a team standpoint, you know. Everybody on my team wants a G7, mm-hmm. but not always is there three G7. So if I can instead have this uh, weapon that I practice with a lot and I already have, that that can make it nice for the teammates and sharing weapons, I think, at least. Oh, yeah, for sure. It'd be really cool. And, you know, off drop to have this a uh, little bit off the bat could be better than, you know, picking up a Mozambique. <laughs> yeah. And, but I also think that Hydrolord did balance this well. You know, mm-hmm. if you don't have, um, a, a weapon and you don't have ammo you can use the bow typically tacticals have a charge up time right off the bat you can't use them initially so it would make sense if uh, that would be true in this um, but it only does 30 damage this single arrow that you get if mm-hmm. you have no ammo attached and that's very much in line with a melee so not overpowered pretty cool I like the idea of having these different ammo types do different things I think you could definitely have some very cool combos where you hit your tactical, pull out a bow, uh, you know, take a good amount of heavy ammo to hit them really hard, hit mm-hmm. them 35, kind of freak them out. They maybe don't know where you're coming from. And then you swap to your other guns. Could be a pretty uh, good assault ability. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now we have the ultimate cursed arrow. Load the bowl with a single arrow. Anyone hit by this arrow will take one damage per two seconds until they are dead. Not downed, dead. Octane's regen counters out the effect, but he can no longer regen health. Pretty dang powerful. You know, it's like... You'd have to constantly be healing throughout the game if you got hit by this, essentially. Yeah, essentially, you are done. But, you know, we speak very highly of uh, the Revenant Tactical uh, and its power, mm-hmm. you know, it's a very good ability uh, to really put the clap on people. Definitely. Uh, but take some precision. I'm assuming that this ultimate would also take a lot of precision. You have one shot. Arrow. Yeah. One arrow. 
Um, and if you hit somebody, it has a really good payout, you know, to be able to eliminate somebody with a single shot is something that's pretty dang powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, cool that Octane kind of, uh, takes the, the cursed arrow, um, but won't necessarily be eliminated by it eventually. Um, it'll also take, you know, what, 200 seconds? One damage per two seconds. Oh yeah, it'll so take a long seconds, time. Um, you know, more than three minutes um, to actually be eliminated if you're not shot by anybody else. Very cool. Um, I like the idea, honestly. I'm not going to say anything bad about it. I think it's pretty cool. I agree, 100%. Thank you so much for the submission, Hydra Lord. It was freaking unbelievable. Um, the amount of lore behind this character is absolutely awesome for sure. We're going to dive into the questions, though, now. Henry, I'll have you start this first question because you got a certain connection with this guy. That's right. We have a question from Henry from Instagram. What's up, guys? I've listened to a few episodes, and I've got an interesting question for you, too. That would be awesome to hear about on the pod. I've played Apex on Apex since release after launch, and me and my brother have had some interesting discussions since then about a new legend concept. Now let me preface this by saying that neither of us have played Titanfall 1 or 2, but have gotten pretty invested in Apex and its future. But the question is, to bring you guys, is that you th do you think a legend whose ultimate would be to drop down a Titan and get in would be too good? Myself and my brother have come to the conclusion the legend might be terribly out of place from a narrative perspective, but they could maybe have a passive that is usable at any time and a tactical that can only be used while in the Titan. We came to the conclusion that this might be balanced based on the fact that in high-level play, the game heavily relies on being in a building, and if the Titan dropping had a similar animation to Lifeline's package, we all know it could be seen from a far distance. Additionally, the Titan's weapons could be something like a flamethrower. That way, its damage output isn't crazy when competing with teams far away. So yeah, that's all I got. I think the first reaction I have is like a definitely interesting way to try and balance it. But if you think about an end game perspective, if you feel like you have to have a certain legend on your team in end game to be successful, that's going to be an issue. And having a Titan in end game with a flamethrower on really small ring shrinks, which are pretty much every time in the open. It is not often that the ring shrinks inside of a building. Um, that's going to be a little overpowered and could be an issue in that standpoint. Mid-game, maybe not, but I just see it as like if you end up running into a Titan in the open, there's nothing you can do. There's a, only a small handful of characters that could run away. And if seeing another Legend's ability makes you run away, that's an issue. Like even Gibraltar's, you know, ultimate, if it's dropped right on your head, you will still survive if you have full health. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's something that everybody's excited about. We love Titans. Mm -hmm. We love Titanfall. This is cool. You know, it's just tough in any part of the game. I, I hear what you're saying about the range of the attacking ability. Yeah. But I think it just comes down to a size and health thing. Yeah. Like, you can't take this person out in a normal way, even if everybody's focusing fire. Mm -hmm. That's not what a Titan is. Full stop. To kill a Titan as a pilot, you have to climb on its back twice in Titanfall, take out its battery, 
throw a grenade directly inside of the Titan. And doing that twice, I think, lowers the health pretty far, but does not even just kill it on its own. And then the pilot ejects the, from the Titan. Exactly. So it, it's very tough. You know, I can potentially see some sort of mechanized, uh, you know, legend that might be able to call in something similar mm-hmm. to a Titan, but say uh, they had a very exposed cockpit. Yeah. You know, where they could, you know, somebody shot. come up with a shotgun. And, you know, to hit them, even while they're in this kind of thing. Maybe they're protected from the back. Maybe they have a flamethrower attached. Maybe they have a tactical uh, that's built into it. It is an ultimate. But if you could get the size and the health in, I think you couldn't really have a traditional Titan, but you could have something very similar to this. Yeah. So Titans are so amazing and fun and awesome in Titanfall. The last thing I think we want to do is... Uh, ruin that image in another game by weakening the titan to the point where it's like the people that then go back and play titanfall are like whoa this thing's overpowered in titanfall and such it's just a tough balance to strike for sure yeah next we have a question from for sure jacob hey guys big fan of the show i have now been listening for about three months after my best friend showed me you guys very nice to listen to people who are as passionate about this game as we are we've been playing since season one on ps4 I'm very excited for both crossplay and the game coming out on Switch. My question is, how do you guys feel that there will likely never be cross-progression in the game? Personally, I think that every game that now comes out should have it, and because this game is coming out on Switch, I'd love to be able to have all my kills and skins on just one profile. Keep up the good work, guys. Cross-progression is very interesting. Um, There are money incentives for EA to not have cross progression in Apex. A lot of people spend money on multiple platforms already. Um, but with the introduction of crossplay, there is a chance. Uh, cross progression is in EA systems in the sports games already. Um, and so it is definitely something that they could do if they desired it to. It would be very interesting, like they would involve, you know, creating your EA account and then like logging into your EA account within Apex to actually sync it up between multiple things. I don't know if it makes sense for them to do it, but I understand the desire for it. And I definitely hear it as well. You know, we're starting to stream on PlayStation and we don't have our same sort of stats or skins and such. Um, but I think the main thing to focus on with crossplay coming is that the game is going to be better. So much better. You know, whether you play on PC, Xbox, PlayStation, like you want to stay on that system. Mm -hmm. You know, I could potentially see some people um, that maybe play on Apex that want to switch over to PlayStation for the next gen, them kind of being sad by a restart uh, to their stats. But other than that, and, you know, people wanting to mess around and play on the Switch, um, I think that this crossplay is going to be really strong for the game. Most people are going to stay on their same accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the most part, the game's going to be healthier. People are still going to be leveling up on their Xbox, their main account. It's going to be great. Next question is coming from Brickmaster. Great podcast. You guys are amazing. Thank you for delivering great weekly content. Keep up the great work, you guys. Definitely deserve every five-star review you get. Question. If you're playing with people that have really bad rage issues, what do you say to tell them to stop raging without sounding rude? I've tried talking to my teammates many times, but they never seem to listen. Any ideas? Tough one. 
Yeah. No doubt about it. Like, you know, playing with people that have bad rage issues is not always the most enjoyable thing. I mean, are we talking, uh, you know, quit the game kind of rage or are we just talking like yelling at themselves um, or yelling at each other and blaming other people? There's three different very types of levels to that rage in my mind, at least. Yeah, I think there's a lot uh, at stake here and a lot of details. I'm glad you asked the question. It definitely matters and can affect, you know, your enjoyment of the game. Absolutely. Uh, It's also important to know, is this somebody who is a personal friend of yours or Mm -hmm. is this somebody that you only play games online with? Uh, Is maintaining that relationship uh, really important? All those things, you know, in mind, I think that the, one of the best ways to approach uh, this uh, getting upset with Apex is, first of all, here's kind of the perspective that I have in the game in general. Coming from a more traditional game, uh, shooter like Call of Duty, you have respawn. And so mm-hmm. you pretty much, whenever you die, the frustration is very short. Yeah. Whenever you get a kill, the kills are very short. Mm-hmm. The games are very short as well, about 10 minute games. So you have a very rapid iteration of uh, reward, essentially, and lots of tries to keep on improving uh, again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Apex is a much longer game. You have a looting process. Uh, it's definitely winning and being crowned the champion over you know, a 60-person lobby is a big, big high. But after you play for 15 minutes and then your team gets instantly killed, that's a big, big low. So rage in this game is definitely understandable. Um, but dealing with it, I think, Shay and I have a couple strategies. Um, the first being, you know, stay calm. Mm-hmm. Um, when you and your team do good things, uh, reward those things. Like, hey, great kill, great job, guys. Get excited. Get work. You know, we are, how you say. The best. Uh, we're the best. We're <laughs> cracked. Uh, very good to just positively reinforce the good moments of mm-hmm. Apex. Because honestly, the wins are few and far between. You know, yeah. getting squad wipes, getting individual kills need to be rewarded in order to keep the game fun. Like, that's yeah, just yeah, a fact. No doubt. Now, you know, with the bad stuff and, you know, with raging and getting upset when things go bad, honestly, the best way to maybe not stoke the fire and maybe not to, if this is a personal friend that you don't want to, you know, rupture the relationship, um, just brushing off the 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 mm-hmm. L's. Um, you know, Shay has some experience in basketball and you want to tell him what you <laughs> oh, do to man. keep people's heads on? I'm the, uh, with a team, I am the my, my bad guy. So it doesn't matter if it was somebody else's responsibility in its entirety. I'm saying my bad. It keeps people feeling better. And for me personally, you know, if everyone knows when they mess up, regardless of if they're admitting it is the hard part. And so if even if it's you taking responsibility for that kind of thing, um, they still know. And if they don't know, then that's a different issue in its entirety. <laughs> then tell them to listen to the podcast yeah. so they know what's right and wrong. And another thing I'll say is like, I know I have a habit of getting, I'm much louder than Henry when we play this game and I get mad a lot, but I can get mad at myself. Like I'm not ever the kind of person that is like gonna, you know, blame and rage at a teammate. Um, but I get mad at myself and I'll be loud. And if your teammate is doing that, or if they're just being loud in general during the game and raging, I like to do the, um, I can't hear the game is what you tell your, 
teammates that are raging a little bit. Um, because if in the end they care at all about winning, it's important for everyone to be able to hear the game and stuff. And that's a kind of a nice way to skate around having to directly tell them that they are uh, being loud and raging. That's a great tip. And, you know, humans for this is nice advice. This is, yeah, (laughs) this is very general and it's very human to want to place blame. Yeah. You know, like we see this in uh, politics. Uh, We see this in, you know, the stock market Mm -hmm. and corporations. Like blame is something that uh, makes everything easier. Uh, just allows people to move on quickly. And so, mm-hmm. you know, claiming blame uh, is nice if you can get away with it. Um, can kind of just let people be at ease and move on with their lives. I don't know if it's good advice or not, but hopefully those are some ideas to work with. And For sure. Hopefully you can keep having fun playing but Apex. Best of luck, Brickmaster. I know that's probably an issue for a lot of people. So I hope that something in there helped you for sure. Next, we have a question from Zombie 23 I'm going to start playing Apex Legends on my Xbox and want to know what legend and loadout I should use. I normally use the Spitfire and R301. What is a good champion with that combo? And also watch out for TTV Taco Zit. Yeah, tough one. I mean, Henry and I personally don't uh, base our legends and the loadout together. I think the extent of that is Henry gravitating towards the G7 with Gibraltar because having that arm shield at a slightly longer range is advantageous. I think if you're really looking to use that Spitfire in R301, um, playing someone that's a little bit more on the defensive end, you don't have as much close range capability as someone running at people with a shotgun or an SMG. What legends would you say those are in specific, Henry? Yeah, I would say probably a defensive legend. Mm -hmm. You know, you want people to be coming at you. You want to be, you know, sit in your spot, whether it's Gibraltar, Caustic, or Watson. Um, you're not going to be pushing people. You know, your movement speed is slower with the LMGs and the ARs. Um, you want people to be coming at you. Um, that's, you know, the advice for that. But like Shay said, I don't know if it's the best perspective to base who you play off of what weapons you want. Honestly, you won't always find those weapons, yeah. unfortunately, in games. And the truth is, all the weapons in this game are so good and fun to use. Man, I've been using the P2020 hammer point in like diamond ranked lobbies now. Like, you can use anything really alternator, snipers. It's, it's all, all about the headshots. Good. It's all good. So it's like, don't feel like, oh, I, I can't use the hemlock. Oh, I, I, mm-hmm. I can't use the R9. Like, Practice it if you need to, just to get that confidence up. Uh, some people recommend like every day going into the firing range. First time you log on and just like mm-hmm. fire off a couple of clips with the R9 just to give yourself some confidence and warm up the sticks. Um, I think that could definitely work for some people, but also just open your eyes, pick any legend that you like mm-hmm. and, you know, learn to play all the weapons because yeah. I think it's going to in the long term suit you and you're going to find that you can do it. No doubt. Next question is coming from Royally Bad at Apex. Not too into podcasts, but recently started playing Apex and wanted to learn more. These guys obviously know their stuff and have a lot of hours in the game. Keep up the good work. I just started the ranked grind and find it hard to play without friends. Any suggestions? I'm a Bangalore Gibraltar man looking for low-level ranked teammates. I feel you, man. 
Word up. We talk about it on a regular. Ranked is a mission to play with randoms. And you know what? Henry and I have just started playing with a smaller group of people as a third. And for ranked, we have essentially decided that if we're not playing with one of the three people that we play ranked with religiously, uh, we're in pubs. It's just too frustrating to lose ranked points with randoms for doing uh, dumber things, I think. It's, it's hard. You know, the randoms are very hard. You know, just to kind of knock this question out, mm-hmm. try your best to find those people. Join our Discord. Definitely. Um, I really think that can be a really great tool for people to connect and to find uh, serious squad mates. And then, you know, if you're interested in joining the Patreon, that's kind of our, you know, first pick uh, to play with us uh, and to potentially find some really dedicated Apex players. So that's kind of the best advice I would say for looking for teammates. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you definitely hit the nail on the head and thinking that it's hard to grind ranked without teammates. No doubt. No doubt. Next question coming from player 0937. My current weapon loadout is R9 PK. I've never had problems with the two until recently. I have started to struggle with the two. Any suggestions for weapon loadouts? We have a great suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> it's the it's bread and butter. Simple. When all three people on the squad have it, you're winning. Henry, it's your favorite, so I'll let you share. Yeah, I've been saying this since season three Definitely. on the first episodes of the podcast. Always been a G7 fan, and a Prowler is an amazing weapon. Those two guns in, in like tandem work so well. Mm-hmm. Select fire makes it even better, but don't even trip. It's good without it. Yeah. You can handle it. Um, another suggestion, if you don't like that or you want to maybe mix it up a little bit more from just that, which Shay and I are kind of staying uh, pretty close to, check out our uh, Slept On Weapons episode. Really, really good ideas in there. And we break down a lot of what it takes to be good at these weapons in Mm -hmm. comparison to some of the more meta weapons like the R9. Um, Very interesting episode. I think you'll learn a lot from it. Um, I think that's pretty cool. I think that's really good advice. And like Henry said earlier, a lot of the weapons are good right now. I mean, you can find success with anything. Pick out those favorites that you control the most and uh, run with those. I mean, I've been having... A ton of success lately with the Mastiff, which is not something that has happened for a while, and I've been enjoying that while the success at least lasts. I also have to mention, player, I don't really know how your weapon loadout is the (laughs) Peacekeeper. Uh, I find it fairly difficult to find a Peacekeeper on the regular, but uh, if you got dibs on all the Peacekeepers, hopefully your teammates respect it. For sure. That's your loadout. For sure. Next question is coming from Ray Morgan. Thank you guys for consistently delivering and breaking down everything in such an easy way to comprehend. I always listen while I'm working, and it helps the day go by quickly. My question is, how do I keep myself from getting nervous during the final squad fights and remain calm? I find myself getting shaky and pumping with adrenaline when I'm up against the last team, which can be very distracting. Hope you guys have some insights on this. Thanks. I love this question. It's super relatable. We all hear this. Like, what a great question. I would say my very first thing is like, breathe, deep breaths. I find myself holding my breath a lot uh, in the late game, tough situations. And 
when that happens, everything else is going to become a lot harder to use and uh, keep those deep breaths consistently. Um, yeah, focus on breathing. I love breathing exercises. Yeah, uh, you know, one of the things that we have really committed ourselves to in advising people on how to win more games, uh, I did this again, Patreon episode, positioning and rotating. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can put yourself in a strategically advantageous position, uh, you can see the fights that are coming, uh, which gives you a lot more confidence. You can either uh, be in a place where you can easily go third party uh, when there's three squads left. That gives you a lot of confidence and a lot of information. Um, other than that, in at least public games, uh, usually um, it's not very chaotic at the end. There's not like you know five to ten teams all crashing on each other at the final pinwheel, uh, like sometimes in ranked. So you have some time here. You can use that time to get nervous or um, you can just trust yourself. You know, one of the things that I do is that if I see the team of three and, you know, with playing Bloodhound, uh, we usually do get to see where they're all at. Don't get overwhelmed. Don't get, uh, you know, too excited about it. Focus on one. Focus on winning a 1v1 Mm -hmm. or with your team winning a 2 or a 3v1. Focus on one um, and then it's just like, dominoes you just knock them over definitely definitely going and having that planned being consistent with your legend and weapons the more uh less variability you have going into those final engagements the more confidence you're going to have overall last question coming from lg shinimo do you know if apex is planning on putting a custom control system for controllers i play on xbox and i've played similar games to apex on mouse and keyboard because i enjoy the movement advantages and the challenge since i played controller for three years on xbox i am wondering if apex is going to unlock the keyboard and mouse input on consoles i've invested about four hours a day at least into this game and would love to be able to play my favorite games with my favorite setup also what sound setup do you suggest for playing Apex? I've also debated starting a stream on Twitch and was wondering what mic you guys use for the podcast. I love hearing you guys every week and you guys make my day when you come out with a new podcast. Keep up the great content. Love you guys. Thank you, LG. Yep. Thanks for all the questions there. Uh, uh, one by one. Starting at the top. I don't know a ton about mouse and keyboard input on uh, console. I've never uh, done it myself. I wouldn't be surprised if that is a thing that you know, comes about with uh, the addition of crossplay, unless crossplay is meant where you can turn off the ability to play with PC people on console because you don't want to smush all the mouse and keyboard and controller people together. I think that would be a sign of if that'll happen or not. And then uh, with what uh, sound setup you should be uh, playing Apex on, uh, headphones, headset, uh, definitely is the way to go. Um, you know, recommending specific brands or ideas like that. Um, to be honest with you, Shay and I are not sponsored yet. We don't have no. quality support on the <laughs> headset. And really, I can't recommend any real gaming headset uh, that's a good price. I've never, I've never used, them. yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know, you know, Steel Series or uh, what Astro I've heard some good things about, but I don't. Actually, no. Mm-hmm. Shay and I often use uh, the Bose Quiet Comfort 35s. Um, you know, that might be something that you can invest in. But uh, that is only on PlayStation where you can hook up an yeah. external mic because they don't come with a mic. Yeah. So it can be tough. 
that's the advice there. Hopefully more to come as uh, we invest more in our own yeah. uh, audio. And then for streaming, awesome. Very exciting to start uh, streaming. We stream on YouTube. Check it out. Um, what mics we use is the ATR2100X. Um, USB. Yep, USB mic. Definitely a good way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that that's what we do. That's what we recommend. Thanks so much for the questions. Um, yeah, I will just add in real quick on the uh, streaming mic. Like, I love our mics. Absolutely. If you're looking to solely stream, though, I would look at getting a condenser microphone. Right now, we use dynamic mics for podcasting purposes specifically. Um, but condenser mics allow you to put your mic a little bit more off to the side rather than having it right in front of your uh, mouth and pick it up. And sometimes the, depending on the setup you have, the mic can get in front of your screen and such. And Word. that is something you can avoid with a nice condenser mic, like a Blue Yeti or something I've seen is very popular for a lot of people. But yeah. Good advice. Thank you guys so much. Please subscribe to us on Apple Pods. Give us a follow on Spotify. Leave a five-star review with your question. We'll answer your question on the next episode. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Third Party Pod. We interact with all of you on there. At least we try. Check out the Discord via the link in the description. If you want to support us, join us on Patreon. Links in the description below. Last but not least, check out our YouTube stream, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Thursdays. Uh, we're looking at maybe switching that up so more of you guys can watch. But for now, that is the time. It is an absolute blast. Sub to the YouTube channel to get the notifications in the future. We're close to that 200 sub mark, so if you guys could get us across there, that would be huge. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Third Party Podcast. Peace. Boom! Whole squad down. Hey, brother, not today. Maybe tomorrow.